Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, 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 and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm your host, Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And please pay a visit to my online home at thefootballgirl.com, where you'll find my preseason fantasy rankings and also my team-by-team buying guide series. And hey, if you like this show, please do me a solid and leave a rating and review. The unofficial start of the fantasy football draft season has arrived with the start of the annual Scott Fishbowl. This show is being recorded on Monday night, July 8th, and SFB drafting began earlier today. I'm not going to give you a long-winded overview of the Scott Fishbowl because I already did that last week. But in a nutshell, it's a 1,200 entrance tournaments, 112-team divisions, each with its own draft. It's a slow draft with an eight-hour clock, 22 rounds, 11-man starting lineups, no kickers, no defenses, no trading. It's super flex, so you can start two quarterbacks, and it's tight end premium, so tight ends are worth more. And most important, this is a charitable event, raising money for Fantasy Cares. I urge you to visit fantasycares.net and consider making a donation even if it's only for five or ten bucks. Now the other great thing about the Scott Fishbowl is that all of the people who write about fantasy football and do fantasy football podcasts, they have to lay their cards on the table. So I think that's why you should be paying attention to the Scott Fishbowl and all the SFB stuff on Twitter, even if you're not participating because people who eat and sleep and breathe fantasy football and spend way too much time thinking about things like Tyler Boyd's average yards of separation, uh, these people are drafting in a league that matters and making picks they believe in. And I think that can be helpful to you in your draft prep. So my guest this week is Sam Lane, the man who vanquished... 899 other competitors last year to win SFB 8s. You can find Sam on Twitter at FFStompy. So let's not waste any more time. Let the trumpets blare, for we are about to be joined by the reigning king of the Scott Fishbowl. It's time to bend the knee to Sam Lane. Well, I really should have had Michael Buffer handle the introduction of this week's guest, but Buffer wanted $1,400 for a 30-second intro, so I'm going to handle it myself. It is an honor, nay, a privilege, to be joined by the reigning Scott Fishbowl champion, Sam Lane. When Sam isn't busy 
stealing the souls and drinking the milkshakes of other fantasy analysts. He is co-hosting the Dynasty Diagnostic podcast along with Eitan Mozia or co-hosting the Superflex show along with James Catulus. Did I say that correctly? I hope I did. You did. We just call him James the Brain. We don't know his last name. <laughs> James the Brain or writing for FF Statistics. He is a kind and benevolent champ and you can find him on Twitter at FF Stompy. Sam Lane, welcome to the show, Your Grace. Thank you. I, I think that I should be more honored being a guest of yours. I mean, I've seen the lineup that you had. You just had Joe Dolan, you had Elliot Chris, Jason Moore, Jeff Ratcliffe, Graham Barfield. I don't know if I belong in that uh, kind of company, but I really appreciate it. And and we forgot about John Ho with the Superflex Super Show. He's going to be up, upset. John, you're like 15th fiddle when it comes to Superflex Super Show, so sorry about that. <laughs> All right, Sam, we will get into all the details about how you won SFB8 later. And you are certainly a worthy guest, make no mistake. I mean, not only vanquishing that many foes, but the stuff you do, the podcasts you do, the contributions you make writing, you absolutely belong in uh, any pantheon of fantasy analysts. So we're going to talk about SFB8, how you want it. We're going to talk about SFB9, which just kicked off today. And we are recording this on Monday, July 8th. And Twitter has been abuzz with Scott Fishbowl updates all day long. But let's start by talking about living the life of an SFB champion. And I've got to say, dude, and I'm not just shining your ass here, Sam, you have thus far been an exemplary champion because you are having maximum fun with it. And you've been a great ambassador for this event so far, shooting promos, appearing on the SFB Podathon that the Fantasy Funhouse guys just did. And God bless those guys for staying on for 25 straight hours to raise money for Fantasy Cares. But for the way you've really leaned, yeah, more than 6,000. That's really impressive. But yeah, Sam, you've really leaned into this and uh, done the Scott Fishball proud. I have no problem bending the knee to such an honorable champion. Uh, all right, let's. We got to start with the promo you cut for SFB nine a few weeks ago. This was just an old-fashioned pro wrestling promo, and fittingly, you had a championship belt over your shoulder and donned a red wrestling singlet for the occasion. Uh, this, in turn, prompted other SFB participants to cut their own promos. So there was just a ton of entertainment value here that you kicked off. So where did you get the idea for the promo? And uh, was there a particular pro wrestler whose mic skills you were trying to emulate? Uh, so, I mean, I think the belt, just getting the belt warrants it. Uh, so when I got the belt, that's when the idea started coming to my head. Um, I was like, I, I got to do something about this because, I mean, this is a huge win. I, 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 was, I won over 899 other people. But the other fact fact of the matter is this is a game within a game we're playing pretend football and it's supposed to be fun and i think sometimes people take it a little too seriously especially when it came to the scott fishbowl so i was just like you know i think we got we we have to make this a lot more fun and so when i got the belt and i was like you know i used to watch wrestling back in the day and uh dwayne the rock johnson who's now a uh, universal or or uh star around the world um, was my favorite wrestler and 
that's uh, a kind of mostly where I got got um, the I or or who I tried to emulate there. And so yeah, I decided. Well, I'm going to make this as about as ridiculous as possible. Put on a singlet, a tight singlet. I'm a big guy, obviously, and yeah, I, it was like this is going to be fun. We're gonna. I, I didn't think it was going to get as much attention as it did, but it was a lot of fun to record and the attention I, it got was awesome. And I just embraced the, uh, in, in wrestling terms and pro wrestling terms, the heel, uh, role. It was awesome, man. It, it, I think it helped get everyone pumped up in the, uh, you know, week to two weeks leading up to this. Um, Sam, what did it feel like in the minutes after you knew you'd won the 900 team Scott Fishball? That's actually a fun story because I actually thought I lost and the guy that I thought I lost to had declared himself the winner. And then about an hour after the Monday night game, and mind you, I'm a Denver Broncos fan and the Monday night game was the Broncos versus the Raiders, I believe. And um, about an hour after that game, uh, there was a stat correction. And I don't remember if it was a first down or a catch. And it was by Dejon Hamilton who was also on my team. So Denver Bronco and there was a stat correction and I went from being down, I believe 0.28 points to being up 0.38. Oh God. And that was about an, I was, I was laying in bed, having already resigned to losing. And then all of a sudden I look at, look at it again because I'm that type of degenerate and decided uh, to look again. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a stat correction and I'm actually up. And, and then it was like a sit and wait until Thursday to make sure there was no other stat corrections. And sure enough, I had won. And it was like the coolest feeling in the world. And, and have, being part of this community and being somebody that's trying to make it in the community where I can quit my day job and actually try and do this for a living. And having like people like Liz Loza and Jacob Rickroad and Scott Fish and Ryan McDowell and you, Pat, and having you guys follow me on Twitter, it was amazing because it's like, well, I, my name's out there now and, and it's been great ever since. And being able to um, do like the full heel turn and, and announce myself as the, the winner of the Scott Fishbowl champion for the last several months has been been fantastic, and I think it's definitely helped grow my brand. I had no idea it was that close. Who was the second place guy? Um, it's let me. It's Kurt. I cannot. Well, now I can't remember. It's Kurt something, and it, it, he's uh, at Springbox FFC on Twitter. Yeah, and he 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 declared himself winner right after, and it was just, oh my god. I felt so bad for him, but it, on the inside, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> that is crazy. I had no idea it came down to that. And here's the thing that people sometimes forget. Like, not only do you get the bragging rights, you also get a bunch of swag for winning, right? There's the belts. What were some of the other cool prizes that came with the title? Um, so I get, I'm on the FFPC pros versus Joes as a pro with guys like Graham Barfield, um, in that tournament, there were some cash prizes. The DL, I got like a DLF subscription, which has been invaluable. Um, but really, oh, and the other thing, yeah, I got to go on uh, Fanball with uh, Scott Fish. But I got I got to be on SiriusXM Radio. But the the best thing about winning it, like I said, is the prestige and, and, and getting your name out there. And, and especially if, like for somebody like me who is trying to make it. Yeah, the prizes definitely help a little bit. That that. Uh, belt has definitely been put to good use at this point. <laughs> I'll say. So now this year's Scott Fishbowl drafts are underway. 
who was in your division and which spot did you draw? So I am in the uh, PlayStation Classics conference and uh, my division is Kratos from the God of War drafting um, 11th overall. You don't have to rattle off the whole list of, of guys, but are there any, uh, any big names in your division? Um, I have uh, Leo Pasiga, Siga, uh, at Siga underscore FF. Um, that's about the biggest name. There's some, oh, uh, Ty Miller, the uh, SFB3 champion from the Bull Rush podcast. Oh, wow. Also in there. So we've got actually two uh, fishbowl champions um, and some other, uh, some other guys in the industry as well. But yeah, those are kind of the two big names. So who have you grabbed so far? Um, so my first, <laughs> my first overall pick uh, at the 11th was Dalvin cook. And it's kind of interesting. So I, I kind of went in with the strategy that I was going to go running back, running back, and then QB, QB. And, um, go from there. Uh, it was kind of a general strategy. I kind of knew what I wanted at that turn, that one, two turn. So I was looking at Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, and then I read something, uh, Jacob Rickroad, uh, at clutch fantasy had posted something about Dalvin cook. And then he posted a, a picture from Warren Sharp's preview NFL season preview. And he rattled off some numbers about Dalvin cook. And I was like, man, Dalvin cook could be an absolute monster this season. So I actually changed it and I was going to go Mixon and cook, but I switched it up and I went cook first thinking Mixon was going to fall, which was a mistake. And I should have done Mixon um, cook. So I ended up going cook and Chubb, which perfectly fine with me. Cause I think both of those guys could be RB ones this season. Um, and then on the three, four turn, uh, I went Aaron Rodgers dropped to 311, which I mean, he in this format where interceptions are minus four and he threw he had 25 touchdowns at two interceptions last year. He is going to be a top five quarterback in this. I mean, basically, he's one of the safer picks at quarterback in my mind, maybe the safest along with Patrick Mahomes. And so draw him dropping to the back end of the third. I was like, this is kind of a gimme pick here. And then uh, I went with Devontae Freeman after that. I've been kind of pounding the table for Devontae Freeman this offseason because I think he could return to RB1 status if he's healthy. You know, this looks like a similar build to your team last year, but we're going to table that discussion for now. Um, Well, maybe not entirely. I mean, how specific is your plan of attack this year? Do you feel like this year's scoring system is pushing you in any particular direction or are you kind of trying to replicate last year's game plan or mostly just value hunting? Yes. That's that's the answer. Yes. Um, Well, so really the scoring didn't change all that much from last season. We just have like the quote unquote video game bonus scoring, which kind of gives a, a leg up to like, uh, running quarterback. So guys like Dejon Watson, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, and we'll talk about. Um, so those guys, I, I, those running quarterbacks, I tend to value a little bit more. Um, and so I, I had a decent idea early what I want to do in terms of the draft. And then I kind of adjust from there. So I knew kind of detailed what I wanted to do in those first four to five rounds. And then after that, I knew what I wanted to do um, vaguely. And it was basically late round wide receiver. Uh, and I wanted to get at least two t- top 10 in my mind running backs. 
and two uh, quarterbacks coming out of the fifth round. And I'm, I'm well on that way. Um, but yeah, the scoring doesn't, didn't really shift for me. I didn't go after uh, tight ends last year. I'm not going after tight ends early this year. And like you said, I mean, it's kind of, you, you kind of learn from your past and, and I, my winning roster, I know exactly how that was built and I'm going to build it. Like I'm trying to build it like that again, maybe make some adjustments on some players that could get those bonuses, say guys like Tyree kill who, despite his suspension could end up being an absolute monster in the second half of the season, especially because he's that home run hitter type. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am really kind of mimicking what I did last year. No, all these drafts are so different and they're like these, these rushes on various positions in different drafts and some, you know, the quarterbacks go flying off and some it's, it's, you know, this big rush on tight ends. Um, I think mine has been kind of almost frustratingly for me balanced, like guys are just sniping value and, and just sort of, I don't know, it's been kind of almost like this real efficient draft and it's been hard to ring out value for me in the first three or four picks. Um, what about yours? Has there been any particular position that's, uh, I don't know, like gone rapid fire in these first few rounds? I mean, it seems like running back, but not anything different from like what you would see in a normal redraft league or even just a startup. I like, uh, the first five, six picks were running backs. And then we had Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Hopkins, uh, Adams. And then I went Dalvin Cook and then Joe Mixon, Chubb. So it seems like running back is going relatively quickly. But when I'm able to get Devonta Freeman in the fourth, that seems about right. So I think I agree with you that it seems relatively balanced and relatively similar to what you would see in like a redraft uh, league this year. Yeah, now I got to get in one of these divisions where Aaron Rodgers goes 102 or uh what were some of the other ones didn't So so I I mentioned my my other co-host John Hoke, he's actually the one that took Aaron Rodgers 102. Oh no way. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and but but somehow Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb dropped to him on the 2-3 turn. Oh my god. So yeah. How does Joe Mixon go late <laughs> That's in the second kinda, round? Yeah, right. And and it's just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't – and I'm hearing a lot of like some of these divisions. I'm like, what are these people thinking? Like I think Damian Williams went 1.07 in one. Travis Kelsey went uh, first overall in one. There's there's definitely some wild picks out there. Yeah, man. It's uh, the, the variance in these 100 drafts is just crazy. And um, – you know, and believe me, it's not as a Packer fan. It's not that I don't have a healthy appreciation for Aaron Rodgers, but uh, you know, it just seems a little early. Even if he comes back with just a, a vengeance after some of the shit that's been written about him this year, but you know, one hundred two does seem a little aggressive for him. Um, well, so he's a he's a super flex guy, obviously. And if you knew John, you'd be like, "Yep, yeah, that's about spot on." Cause he's, I mean, he's in love with, he's in love with Aaron Rodgers. He's a Denver Broncos fan, but he's in love with Aaron Rodgers. And he even warned us that he might do that. And sure enough, I heard it. And I was like, that's John. <laughs> that is planning your flag, man. You got to respect that. All right, Sam. Now this could easily be a pure Scott fishbowl show, but a lot of the people listening to this aren't 
in the SFB. And so we need to give those people some meat and potatoes too. Uh, Let's touch on a few general fantasy football topics. You mentioned that we were going to talk about Lamar Jackson, because I know that you're an unabashed Lamar Jackson fan, and you wrote about him recently outlining how there might be more passing upside with him than most people believe. Uh, I'm pretty high on Jackson too. So tell me why you think he might have a better showing as a passer this year. Well, so I, I think the the biggest thing is that he has shown at every level and at every level, I, I mean, college and in the pros improvement. I mean, if you look at what he did at Louisville every season, he got better and better. Um, he is the only uh, college quarterback to throw for 3000 yards and run for a thousand yards in back season. So it's not like he was just running the ball. I mean, he threw for over 3000 yards, which is spectacular in college. Um, and then last year, he may not have looked it, uh, but he was improving every week when it came to passing the ball, especially in adjusted net yards, per, um, which shows you that general. Up. Uh, so, I mean, that's the biggest thing is that he's shown improvement. And then the other aspect is, I mean, can we really say the Ravens were ready for uh Lamar Jackson, because we're talking about two polar opposite quarterbacks and Joe Flacco and Lamar. And if you, I mean, if you could hear uh, Matt Waldman talk about it, they generally had the same blocking scheme um, from Flacco to Lamar Jackson, but you have to, you, you expect different things from the two quarterbacks. Jackson's a guy that can tuck and run. um, And they're not used to that with Joe Flacco, not to mention that, Lamar Jackson is trying to build chemistry with these wide receivers and these pass catchers in the middle of the season, which, I mean, he's now he has an entire offseason and he was working with these guys in the offseason. And now he's able to build chemistry with these guys and build chemistry with the line. And there's an expectation um, with that. So even on just that front, I think there's going to be improvement, not to mention that he only threw the ball 22 times last season, and I believe it was for 179 yards, I believe. And you can't expect that. I mean, you or you can't expect that to stay the same because realistically, let's look at last season. The Seattle Seahawks were dead last in terms of pass attempts, and that was at 400. They were 427, and that was the lowest, and that was one of the lowest or one of the most skewed ratios when it comes to run run to pass the Seattle Seahawks were in in the NFL in the in the past several years and that's for so I mean do you really expect Lamar Jackson not to throw for over 400 attempts at this point especially with the way that the NFL is moving yeah I mean I really like that point about sort of the philosophical commitment that the Ravens have had to make and that they didn't fully make last year when they, you know, go from a friggin' statue to Usain Bolt as their quarterback. I mean, that was like a, a major leap. And uh, I mean, what do we think Lamar's rushing numbers could be like over a full season? Like 900 yards is a thousand yards out of the question. I, I don't think so. I think it's within reach. So if we if we look at what he did last season, and this is another point to how I know they weren't ready um, with Marty Morningwig, even though he worked with, uh, I believe, Michael Vick and Robert Foster, or not Robert Foster, sorry, Robert Griffin. Um, they he they ran him twenty seven times in his first game, which tells me, yeah, we're we're just gonna we're basically gonna let you 
uh, do your thing, play to your strength right now, which is your legs, and then we'll do something afterward. Um, but just to lead into that, uh, or as a lead in, he ran the ball 17 times a game last season, which is absolutely ridiculous. That's a 279 carry pace, which you barely see running backs getting that type of volume. I mean, there's a handful maybe that could hold up to that type of volume. Zeke, Saquon, um, I, not even Gurley. These, so you're not going to expect uh, Lamar Jackson to run the ball 17. However, eight to 12, absolutely. I, I think I, I definitely can see eight to 12 um, yards or, or attempts by Lamar Jackson, whether that be actually schemed in or if it was just him scrambling. The other thing is that his yards per attempt um, was at uh, four point or below five, which is kind of for running quarterbacks is pretty low. And I think that has a lot to do with basically we're going to make the, we're going to make Lamar Jackson throw. And that's another aspect of, of why I think Lamar Jackson will be better passing the ball because they need to balance out that offense for Lamar's legs to be that way you, I mean, they're going to have to, when you're playing the Ravens, you're going to have to commit a spy uh, at middle linebacker, but now you can't stack the box constantly if he's going to be able to. So I, I expect that yards per attempt to go up as well. Even, even if it's just above five, maybe six. And let's say you do 10, um, 10 attempts a game for six yards per carry that ends up being something like 900 some odd yard and well sorry and and so i i think 800 is is very easily within reach and then a thousand's not out of the realm of possibility yeah i mean you make a good point about the um the sort of structured running isn't necessarily super conducive to efficiency so you know, I mean, uh, Josh Allen averaged better than seven yards a carry because his was sort of the the scrambling, like, you know, he had to be, I think defenses regarded him as a passer first. And, you know, the rushing was just sort of, um, you know, more impromptu stuff. And maybe if it gets to be like that, where Jackson, you know, is treated as more of a passer uh, with the Ravens, like make him a passer first and then, you know, do more like freelance running. Um, yeah, it's going to, that, that yardage per carry is going to go way up. Um, I guess just to play devil's advocate for a minute, here are the two things about Jackson that people might worry about. One is that if Jackson falls into the sort of prolonged passing funk that he fell into during that playoff game against the Chargers, that they might sit him down and see if RG3 can get things going. Although I suppose it helps that there's not a real promising young quarterback behind him on the bench anywhere like rg3 is just a stopgap a guy you maybe put in if if jackson is just completely lost and two that offensive coordinator greg roman is so run heavy or has been in his past that any optimism for lamar's passing numbers might be misguided i don't know what say you do you think that's sort of on well i guess on the chargers the that playoff game if you look at it they were holding him back a lot in the first half and then once they started falling behind and once he was able to actually start making plays 
he did fine. And I, I bet you, and I, I, I have done this, but if you look at the first half or the second half versus the first half, he was a lot better at throwing the ball. Um, one of the big things with him is holding on to the ball because when he scrambles, tends not to tuck it. There's a lot of fumbles. That's something that he has to work on. But it seemed like Morningwig, especially just last year in general, was holding Lamar Jackson back because uh, in terms of passing the ball. And when you give him fr- not maybe not free reign, but you let him start to throw the ball a little bit, let let him loose a little bit, he starts to get better. There was definitely some awesome throws in that second half um, if you watch that game. So, uh, I mean, it's a, valid, it's a valid concern, but I think that had a lot to do with Marty Morningwig and just that offense in general being very um, – conservative with Lamar Jackson after switching over from Joe Flacco in the middle of the season. Uh, in terms of Greg Roman, I mean, it's it's a fair enough criticism. And I, the thing is, for me, is I never expected, and, and I think this, that's that's one um, one thing that people put on me is that I, I'm saying that he's going to be this, uh, this prolific passer. I, that's not who the Ravens are. That's not Lamar, who Lamar Jackson is. I don't, I never expected him to be a 4,500 or even a 4,000 yard passer, but a lot of people are saying that he's basically an incompetent quarterback and I'm saying that's wrong. And so what I think he's going to get with Greg Roman. So Greg Roman uh, has been an offensive coordinator in parts of six seasons. And he has never had a quarterback throw for less than 416 attempts. He's also never had a quarterback or, or duo of quarterbacks because he also had Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith throw for less than, th- I believe, 3,100 yards. So, and I, and, and I personally, when I, when I look back, I personally think that Lamar Jackson is probably the more talented passer of that entire group. And that, that's Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick, and Tarod Taylor. And so what that means to me is his, his floor is 400 attempts and and 3000 yards, but he very easily, even in a balanced offense could get upwards of 450 attempts and 3,500 yards. And when you combine that with 800 yards to a thousand yards on the ground, and I, you're probably looking at 25 to 30 combined touchdowns, you're looking at an extremely prolific uh, fantasy quarterback, but also just a g- good NFL quarterback that's going to make plays. Yeah, if we can mix in just like, like you said, three thousand to thirty-five hundred passing yards with the rushing goodness he's going to give us. I mean, that is a top ten quarterback. Um, Sam, let's talk about some of the, and we have not hit on this enough in on this podcast uh, over the last few weeks. Some of the middle and later round wide receivers you mentioned on Twitter not long ago. Uh, these were guys you said you liked. Let's take them one at a time in, in approximate order of their ADP, and you can give me a quick overview on why you like each of these dudes. D.D. Westbrook. All right, so basically this comes down to he was the wide receiver one for Jacksonville last season out of the slot. Uh, I believe he was the wide receiver 33, which just tells you how not prolific that that passing offense is in general. It, it, I think it'll be better with Nick Foles, which is another reason I like Didi. But uh, if you look at Foles's pass with the uh, Nelson Aguilar, who who played out of the slot the most with Nick Foles, was the second most targeted pass catcher and the most targeted wide receiver uh, 
uh, with the Eagles when Nick Foles played. And that includes a season with John DeFilippo. And John DeFilippo left after tw- the 2017 season to go be the offensive coordinator. I believe he was the quarterback's coach in Philadelphia. He went to go be the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. And a lot of people will point to, well, that's not a good indi- – or that's not uh, a good omen. And I- I'm going to disagree with that because I think he was fired not because that offense was incompetent, because if you look at that f- the first eight games, that offense looks stellar. Uh, but they just wanted to run the ball more, and John DeFilippo wasn't willing to do that, so they fired him. But you also look at what Adam Thielen did, especially in those first eight games. He had eight straight 100-yard uh, games, which broke a record. He was the wide receiver one in fantasy last season through those first eight games. And guess what? He plays most of his snaps out of the slot. So you combine, and and now you get the combination of Nick Foles and John DeFilippo again in Jacksonville. Um, hopefully they can recreate that magic that they had in that 2017 Super Bowl run. And Nelson Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar benefited from that combination. And now they have D.D. Westbrook. And I expect, I mean, D.D. Westbrook seems to be the most consistent and probably the most reliable wide receiver there. I mean, Marquise Lee's coming off of a gruesome injury last season. Nobody knows what happened to, um, and I, now I get, he's fallen out of my mind. I can't even remember his name. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, and then there's guys like DJ Shark, which I don't think anybody has a lot of confidence in. So it's basically a combination of slot receiver, quarterback, offensive coordinator, and no competition in Jacksonville. Yeah, there's really not much there. I Like you said, Shark, Marquise Lee, the, the tight ends. I mean, there's not much going on there. So, um, yeah, I mean – I like him too. How can, and you make a really good point about how the DeFilippo Falls combination made Aguilar look pretty good after people had just completely given up on Aguilar as a, a draft bust. Um, now, Curtis Samuel was another guy you had mentioned. I know that Matt Harmon, one of the foremost wide receiver gurus in the industry, is sky high on Samuel. Do uh, you think there's a chance Samuel outperforms? even DJ Moore, whose ADP is much higher? I don't know if he outperforms him. That's going to be tough to say. Um, But in terms of return on value, return on investment, I think you could see a better return on investment from Curtis. Wide receiver, two numbers, and I – I don't know if you have his ADP up right now, but, I mean, he's probably being taken as a wide receiver, four or five. Um, And – Like you mentioned, Matt Harmon likes him a lot, and he thinks he's the best um, outside receiver slot or outside receiver they have. And if you actually look at his numbers, he didn't like. If you look at it out of context, it doesn't look great because, and I don't remember exactly where he finished, but he minute he missed the first four games of the season. But from week five on last season, he was the wide receiver twenty six, and he seemed to be a red zone target for uh, Cam Newton. He had five touchdowns through uh, 12 games, which is is not bad. I mean, we're probably talking about seven to eight touchdowns throughout the season. And now with Devin Funches gone and a great, you have an old decrepit Greg Olson who um, he might only have one foot, who knows. You're going to get a a red zone threat in Curtis Samuel, who's probably going to see a lot more outside targets. Yeah, Fantasy Pros has him wide receiver 47 for ADP. So, yeah, back ends, 
It's a wide receiver right. five. That is I crazy. Mean, that's crazy. And, and, and really, he has that upside for wide, uh, like a top 24 wide receiver. So you're getting like a three-tier three jump in terms of return on investment. Yeah, he's been really irresistible in best balls. Um, how about Kiki Kuti? So this one is very dependent on health. Um, I'm a little bit wary of his soft tissue injuries last season. But we saw Corey Davis also had those soft tissues. He played a full season last season. So there is hope. But Kiki Kuti, when he was on the field, and, and it was only six games, he was a wide receiver 27. And when he was on the field with Will Fuller, he dropped Will Fuller from wide receiver one projections to like overall wide receiver one projections to, I believe it was wide receiver 38 when he was on the field with both of them were on the field. Um, so, I mean, that's an indication there, not to mention that Fuller is coming back from an ACL and uh, ACLs are no, or ACL recovery is notorious for um, soft tissue injuries or compensation. And uh, we saw it with Dalvin cook last season. Um, so, Kiki, I think, is effectively the wide receiver, too, in that offense. And it's a very concentrated offense because you – I mean, you have DeAndre Hopkins, and then then who do you have? Jordan Thomas? Do you re- Are you really going to trust him at tight end? Are you going uh, to trust Kahale Waring? Um, and then there's Will Fuller. And while he probably should be ready for the season, I don't know if you can expect a fully healthy Will Fuller until the second half of the season. So especially in that first half, Kiki Kuti could absolutely be – a steal. Here's a sneaky one people just completely forget about in drafts, and I know you like a lot. Albert Wilson. Yes. This is my favorite late round wide receiver, and if I don't get him in like my redraft leagues and in the Scott Fishbowl, I'm going to be very upset. Um, I know Mike Wright of the Fantasy Footballers feels the same, um, but Albert Wilson last season was on his way to his best season of his the best season of his career i believe he had a career high despite only playing seven games he had a career high in touchdowns and yards per target and catch percentage um i think there were a few others and he was on his he he was on his way and i know there's weird things about projecting out that far to 16 games and there's going to be some regression or whatever, but I'm still using these numbers. Uh, he was on pace for 894 yards, uh, nine touchdowns, and I believe 59 receptions, all career highs. And that would have been, I believe wide receiver 23. So, and, and mind you, uh, Albert Wilson is more of a slot wide receiver. He projects more as a slot wide receiver. Well, Danny, Danny Amendola was there last season. So Danny Amendola took most of the slot snaps. Um, Albert Wilson only played, uh, I think he played under 30% of his snaps from the slot. So he's mostly outside. So it tells you he's effective both inside and outside, but P uh, PFF posted something that Albert Wilson about, I think it was about midway through the season last season was the most effective slot receiver and, and maybe yards per, route run uh in from the slot so he's number one at that point in time um so there's there's a lot of things going there he's got a lot of opportunity there um not to mention the changeover in coaching staff so now you have patriots coaches and brian flores and chad o'shea who was the wide receiver coach for the patriots for the past 11 seasons i believe and i don't have the exact numbers on me but i believe it was like eight of the 11 seasons with the patriots when chad o'shea was there the a slot receiver led the team in targets um, in those other three seasons. And, and there was only two, uh, two other seasons where 
the where a uh, another wide receiver, like an outside wide receiver, led the targets. Um, so that gives you an idea of how much they like to target and those quick slants and those quick passes, how much they like to target those, those, that slot receiver. Um, and, and we've seen how prolific Wes Welker and Julian Edelman were both in the NFL and in fantasy football. So that, that gives a good indication of what um, the Dolphins are looking to do. And then looking at the quarterbacks, I think a lot of people are, are misrepresenting uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as this completely deep ball receiver. But when you look at it, he targeted slot receivers last season 26% of the time, which is a humongous amount. I mean, a quarter of the target share went to slot receivers. And then Josh Rosen, even though it was his rookie season and it was Larry Fitzgerald, targeted uh, the slot receiver 24% of the time. Um, and, and that's another, this is another situation where do you really trust Kenny Stills? Do you really could trust Devonte Parker. I do like Preston Williams, but do you really trust Preston Williams? So it seems like Albert Wilson might be the most reliable receiver there as well. So there's just a lot of things going for Albert Wilson. In fact, I have a, a bet with Liz Loza from Yahoo that if Albert Wilson doesn't finish inside the top 24 wide receivers, I have to wear a Miami Dolphins colored singlet and eat a child <laughs> and eat a child's birthday cake. Top 24. That is aggressive. And I do like Wilson though, man. I mean, I hate the cliche that a guy is free because there's always opportunity cost involved, but man, like Wilson can just be plucked so easily late in drafts for a guy who's got like, as you mentioned, just a real clear, uh, you know, path as you just outlined to being a, a pretty productive guy and a guy that you can start most week right and i think he's going in like the 14th 15th round and that i think he's like wide receiver six type numbers or or yeah where he's going and it's just it's crazy to me and like like i said mike Wright, i believe matt Harmon likes him as well like he has a legitimate chance to make a now this last one sam you're really gonna have to sell me on because I got to admit, I'm skeptical. I know you're talking about him as a late rounder in like the deepest of leagues, but for me, a league would have to be Grand Canyon deep to have any interest in Willie Sneed. So why are you into him? I get it. And, and this is one of those, like, I'm not going to say he's going to be a wide receiver too. Um, but I mean, I think he has a chance to be a wide receiver last year with Joe Flacco. He was a wide receiver three before. Uh, Lamar Jackson took over, which again, not boding well for this season, but he is the only returning wide receiver. Basically. I mean, you have guys like Jordan Lasley um, who didn't play a snap last season. So I doubt he really has any uh, chemistry with Lamar Jackson, um, but Willie Sneed, I believe he, and I, I, I'm trying to remember this correctly. He either led the team and targets with Lamar Jackson. He was second to Mark Andrews. And I can't remember either way. I, he was the wide receiver. He, he led all wide receivers on the Ravens and targets after Lamar Jackson. And he and Mark Andrews ended up being the safety valves for Lamar Jackson. Um, not to mention that they have two rookies. They have miles Boykin, who I really like, and they have Hollywood Brown who, I mean, we'll see what he, what happens with his foot. Uh, but again, you're not going to trust 
rookie wide receivers. Like that just doesn't happen. It rarely ever happens where Juju Smith Schuster comes out and, and excels in their first season. So you can't really rely on them. So, and, and now that I'm taught, I mean, going back to what we were talking about with Lamar, I mean, if he's going to get 400 to 450 attempts, he's got to have somewhere to throw it. And I think it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of short, uh, stuff, short area stuff. You're going to have Willie Sneed. You're going to have Mark Andrews, probably going to have Justice Hill, a combination of Justice Hill and Mark Ingram. And I think Willie Sneed could serve as a safety valve along with Mark Andrews. Now, mind you, this is in PPR league. I would not be doing this in standard leagues or even have PPR with Willie Sneed, but in PPR leagues, I think he could get a decent amount of targets to be worth a wide receiver three or wide receiver four. And I think a lot of people forget that you need those type of players on your team because guess what? Bye weeks happen, injuries happen, and you need a guy that's going to be productive. And I think especially early on, Willie Sneed will be that the top wide receiver for Lamar Jackson and will be productive early until at least those rookies start to get acclimated to this offense. Sam, how are you approaching the tight end position this year? And I, I don't mean in tight end premium leagues like Scott Fishbaugh. I'm talking about single tight end leagues. Um, are you an early tight end guy, a late tight end guy, or do you just kind of play it by feel in each draft? Um, I, I've, I've been arguing with myself in my mind about, about like redraft league. And I, I'm scared because I took Gronkowski early last year and one that obviously came but this year we're talking about a guy in like Travis Kelsey who likely will outperform the outside of those top three. Like there's a gigantic cliff if you, if you look at it. Um, and I, I'm going to say first and foremost, I don't know, but generally I'm not an early tight end guy. I usually go for the guys like Mark Andrews, like Chris Hernan last season, um, maybe Ian Thomas, Another one, Noah Font, I think is going to be a monster this season. I just think there's enough value and there's there's just not a big enough gap um, from those, like we'll say tight end four to tight end like 16 to warrant going early, especially when like running backs I have, I have felt have been extremely valuable of late. And I would rather have one of those top four running backs um, before – or in uh, before I grab a tight end like Kelsey, um, maybe Kittle if he's there in like the second round, maybe Ertz if he's there in the second round. I I generally and I, I probably will do it again this year. I generally wait on Sam in your Twitter bio. It says you're a scientist. Is that an actual scientist or is this like data scientist? No, it's an actual scientist. So I I have my master's in chemical engineering. Um, and I work for a bioagricultural startup and we grow bacteria and effectively it, it serves as a natural fertilizer. So we're taking bacteria that exist in nature on basically all plant life, growing them to higher concentrations and then applying them to. Holy shit, man. You're getting, you're building chemistry on your fantasy teams and uh, you're doing this for a living. That's impressive. <laughs> Now, Sam, we might share a lot of the same viewpoints on fantasy football strategies and player values, but we're polar opposites when our when it comes to our views on bacon. So you're a chewy bacon guy. I'm a crispy bacon guy. So, I mean, do you just like it slightly underdone or are we talking like United Kingdom style where the bacon is just downright flabby? 
I think it's slightly underdone. I think it's like between the UK and slightly underdone, probably. Like, I just, I don't like the feel of like crunchy bacon in my mouth. It just does not, like, it's more a mouthfeel thing. Much like I don't like most beans, I don't like the mouthfeel of crunchy bacon. And I got a lot of flack for it um, when I put that poll up. Yeah, that on Twitter, Sam got some negative reaction when he uh, talked about Chewy Bacon. But honest to God, I thought you were going to – I thought there would be more people in your camp than in the Crispy Bacon camp. I also found out, and, and I guess I should have known this, but a lot of people cook their bacon in the oven. And I'm like, well, how much bacon are you making in the first place? And second – I mean, I, it, it, why, why would, no, just no skillet. Give me like five minutes and I'm done. Dude, less mess, less splatter. It's, it's easy to manage the, uh, the, the grease. Like you just put something underneath it. It's piece of cake. Sometimes you got to cook bacon naked on a skillet. Got to live life adventurously. (laughs) All right, Sam, back to the SFB. We need to know how you did it, how you got your crown. Uh, so let's delve into the details. First of all, last year, I mean, were there any real uh, big name, tough competitors in your division? Uh, I had Matt Harmon. I had Mitchell Renz. I, I actually had several um, several awesome guys that I got. Uh, so which draft spot did you get? I was in the seventh, uh, which is kind of wild when you actually look at my yeah, so did you uh, like have a, a strategy going in last year, or were you just kind of playing the, the value? Uh, I had a general strategy. Um, I mean, much like this year, I, I, I went running back heavy early because pass-catching running backs, those three-down running backs are extremely valuable, especially in this scoring form. Um, and in the, you, you have to take into consider, consideration things like first downs and – so I went in wanting to go running back early, and there were two guys that I was kind of pounding the table again last season when everybody was kind of fading them a little bit, and it was Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I don't think I, – I, and I say fading in that they were like, well, they're not going to reproduce their numbers. They'll still be good, but they won't reproduce their numbers. But I kept saying Alvin Kamara is going to get more touches. Christian McCaffrey is going to get more touches and be more efficient. And so. I pounded the table and I took Alan Kamara with 1.07 and then I took Christian McCaffrey with 2.06. So that just tells you how much people were quote unquote fading Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I got, I think I, I had Kamara too at like 106 or whatever, but yeah, McCaffrey, I, I, God, I hope I didn't have a shot at him last year at 207 or whatever. I don't think I did, but man, I'll have to go back and look at that. I'll be kicking myself. Right, and and I think I I don't think a lot of people understood the format last season because I mean there were guys that were there were wide receivers that were going re- pretty early, and and then there there were also some duds last season. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell uh, went uh, second overall. Um, David Johnson went third overall. Uh, Kareem Hunt went tenth overall, which he was doing fine until until he was suspended and later cut. Uh, Leonard Fournette went 12th. Gronkowski went um, at 201. Uh, Dalvin Cook went at 202. So 
there was definitely some duds early on. So, and, and I'll say this, and this is me being, this is me being humble at this point. There was a lot of luck involved, obviously. I mean, obviously picking Kamara and Christian McCaffrey was a thing that I was like, I'm going to do that. I got Joe Mixon in the fourth, which is another luck thing, but that was an obvious no brainer. Um, but a lot of the guys that went ahead of some of my guys, there was definitely luck involved and there was injuries involved. And, and honestly, let's be realistic. That's what, I mean, we can say fantasy football is about skill and, and, it, and it sure is. I mean, you have to do your research and stuff, but I would say it's like 25% skill, 75% luck. Most of the time, you know, so last year I had Dan Claskins on right before the start of the SFB playoffs. And he was like the leading point scorer going in. And even Dan had a few misses in that draft. So who were guys you kind of missed with? Well, I took Bal- Doug Baldwin in the third. Yeah. I mean, that could just be a killer, man. I mean, not a, not a Le'Veon Bell type of bear trap, but you know, that hurts for sure. I mean, and granted Doug Baldwin, I mean, he helped me down the stretch last season, but when you were expecting, I mean, and that's where the hype was, you know, 200 targets because nobody else is going to catch balls there. And then he puts up, I mean, he, he didn't do anything the first half of the season that really hurt. Um, Demarius Thomas in the fifth, Corey, Corey Davis in the seventh. These are guys I expected a lot more from. Um, they did fine at points during the season, but all both of those guys were well under 200 point fantasy points scored. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris Thompson in the 11th, that's not really a big one. But, yeah, I mean, really the – biggest misses for me were my wide my early wide receivers and and i didn't get my wide receiver one until the 10th round in robert woods and that's another guy i i loved last um but yeah and and i think that just says a lot about this format is that i think and and, and if really if you look at um if you go to ff statistics you can you can do- effectively donate a dollar to fantasy cares and you can get this um gigantic database for the Scott Fishbowl scoring. If you look at the top scores since 2000, they're all mostly running backs. There's a QB sprinkled here and there. And then the first wide receiver doesn't show up until the 39th player on this list. And then every once in a while, there's a wide receiver, but running backs and uh, quarterbacks are king in this format. So in wide receivers are kind of second fiddle, even though you have to start three. Which you totally recognized. I mean, I was looking at your wide receiver group from last year, and you would look in that and be like, how did this guy win the Scott Fishbowl with that group? But, I mean, you totally rolled Yahtzee uh, at running back with the Camara and uh, McCaffrey combination, throwing Mixon. Uh, I think, who else did you have last year? There was one other. I. I picked up – so being a Broncos fan, I was kind of tapped into the beat writers and, and training camp and stuff, and I picked up Philip Lindsay before week one. Oh, huge, huge. So, I mean, look at the firepower you were rolling out there at running back, and then in this tight end premium league, you rolled Yahtzee on. Yeah, I got George Kittle in the ninth round. Wow, man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your other two tight ends – Herndon and Mark Andrews, right? I mean, those were pretty solid producers, especially down the stretch. Yeah, um, Mark Andrews, I, I believe I got the twentieth and that, or, or the nineteenth round last year, and and that was kind of one of those. Well, you know, I believe 
it was be, I, actually it was when Hayden Hurst went Hayden Hurst went in the first and Mark Andrews went in the third and I I went with Andrews just because of his pass catching prowess um, and yeah and then Herndon uh, I picked off of waivers and and that's another lesson here so basically the the lessons that I learned from last season was running backs are king and waiver wire pickups are extremely important pay attention to the- and real quick Sam I mean your quarterbacks like not a lot of capital spent on the position and yet pretty solid position with or uh production with give me your your two-man uh, combo yeah uh so i i got jared goff in the fifth and mitchell trubisky in sixth and that so i i want to thank your one of your previous guests elliot chris for that mitchell trubisky pick because he was kind of hammering on mitchell trubisky last jared goff was one of dude early in the season true i had trubisky too i had, I had breeze and trubisky early in the season trubisky was putting up some crazy numbers man yeah there was i believe a six touchdown game in there and and i think and 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 uh this is another nugget for 2019 he is an underrated runner i believe he had get his stats but i believe he had 500 rushing yards at points or or, or overall last season so uh, he's another late round guy and, and that could run the ball for you and give you some of those bonus points that a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. Underrated and really willing. He is, you know, eager to tuck it away if there's nothing there and pick up yards, but uh, very impressive work, Sam. And I know the knives are out for you and there are people coming for your crown. So uh, I need to let you go and raise the drawbridge and boil the oil uh, it's been great to talk to you, man. You are a worthy champion and a really good dude. Before I let you go, remind everyone where they can find you. Sure. Uh, I, I re- like I said, I really appreciate you, appreciate you having me on. This has been awesome. I, I'm really glad that you and I have gotten to know each other over the past uh, few weeks. Um, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at FF Stompy, or you can just look up SFBA champion because then I'll be <laughs> under that. Um, uh, you can find my podcast, or I, I do a podcast with Aton Mosia called The Dynasty Diagnostic. You can find that on Twitter, Twitter at Dino Diagnostic. You can find Aton at E-T-A-N Mosia on Twitter. Uh, the Superflex Super Show is at Superflex Show. My co-host, John Hogue, is at Superflex Dude. And James Katulis, or James the Brain, is at J- underscore James the Brain. And then you can find my written work with FF Statistics on FF, FF Statistics. Um, we just started a Patreon uh, for that. So if you want to donate, um, you can donate anything. Obviously, there's tiers of prizes, but any anytime, any donation will get you access to all of the data we have there. And it's growing all the time. We're going DFS. We're going IDP, um, Redraft, Dynasty, Devi at some point soon. And the tools, the tools just keep growing as well. So go visit at ffstatistics.com. All top shelf stuff. And if you play Dynasty, uh, you have to check out the Dynasty Diagnostic Pod. Like, it's a great listen. It's a long show. I was on with Sam and Aton a couple weeks ago, and uh, we had a blast. But we went like almost two hours. Um, no, it's it's fun, man. Some of the, some of the people we talked about and uh, some of the stuff we dug into was great but thanks again sam and good luck with the title defense well my friends that's going to do it for the show my thanks once again to this week's guest sam lane 
Follow him on Twitter at FF Stompy. And of course, I owe a large debt of gratitude to the best producer a slow-witted Irish-American podcaster could ever have, the actual Irishman, Calm Kelly, who also is participating in SFB9. Find Calm on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And special thanks to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs, proprietor of thefootballgirl.com. Melissa is taking part in the Scott Fishbowl for the first time, and she is trying to manage the early part of her draft while on a family vacation in Mexico. Hopefully the margaritas aren't damaging her judgment in any way. Find Melissa on Twitter at the football girl. Thank you to international jet set for the music. They are not taking part in SFB nine, but I would certainly take them in any draft of ska bands, maybe as a mid round value after I've loaded up on early round studs, like the specials and the English beats. And last but not least, I need to thank you for listening in. I really do appreciate your time and your patronage, and I hope you'll be back here next week when I will return with another great guest. Until then, be well, enjoy the summer, and be sure to use plenty of sunscreen. So long, everyone. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?